Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with emergency communications and public safety strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Vincent De Laurentiis, Acting Assistant Director for Emergency Communications at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Jody Smith, IPAW Specialist, National Continuity Program Office at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Laura Flattery, Coordinator, National 911 Program, Department of Transportation, National Highway Tra Traffic Safety Administration. Jeff Henderson, Strategic Account Manager, Army Special Services at Panasonic. Nicholas Nyland, Director of Public Sector Product Development at Verizon, and Chris Kalora, Vice President Federal Sales at Comscope. Well, we have an extremely important program here. And, uh, you know, these systems have to be reliable. They have to be secure. They have to be easy to use because every single American at some point or another may need to use these things. And I want to thank all of you on behalf of every single American for everything that you're doing to make these uh, systems reliable, secure, and available when and and if we need them. All right, so let me start with you, Vince. Uh, let's talk about progress over at your uh, organization. And let's start with, you know, for those that may not know, you know, what is it that CISA does in regards to, uh, you know, emergency communications on behalf of the nation? Oh, uh, first let me start off by saying thank you, Luke, and for, to the Federal News Network uh, for your commitment to public safety. I know we've done these over, over several years now. With regards to progress, where the cybersecurity and inform information security agency uh, and the specifically emergency communications, uh, we've made considerable progress in public, public safety communications. Uh, in fact, public safety communications in a whole has made considerable progress since 9-11, uh, since Katrina, where we're looking to advance uh, interoperable communications for the first responders. I think you're seeing a lot of that progress today uh, with the COVID-19 and, and you know, the communications uh, impacts have been mitigated. Probably a key piece to that progress is the National Emergency Communications Plan. That's a five-year strategic roadmap uh, of how to achieve and advance uh, emergency communications interoperability. It really makes sense of the advancing technologies and the complexities for public safety emergency communications. You know, we're in that world of uh, land mobile radio, broadband, uh, IP systems, uh, all have uh, provided great capabilities, but the, this National Emergency Communications Plan makes sense of that. It enables all incident responders uh, to have the right information at the right time when they needed to make appropriate decisions to save lives. With regards to the National Emergency Communications Plan, we just released the latest uh, version of it at the end of the, at the, end of the year. Um, and again, it sets that five-year strategic roadmap. And it's not done from our agency. This is a national plan that, uh, you know, harnesses and partners with SAFECOM, which is the uh, 30 major uh, intergovernmental and uh, uh, governmental and public safety associations uh, that uh, helped draft the the uh, National Emergency Communications Plan. In addition, it's the National Council of Statewide Interoperability Coordinators. It's the uh, 56 
uh, statewide coordinators for you know employees from each of the states, uh, and also our federal partners in the Emergency Communications Preparedness Center. They all uh, prepared this report uh, or plan, um, and they also endorsed it, which was a major, uh, which was a major accomplishment. Mm -hmm. uh, it focuses on six goals: government or governance, planning, training and evaluations, comms coordinations, technology, and this year we added a sixth goal, which is cybersecurity uh, to the plan. Uh, gets to your point on that uh, resiliency of the networks. Um, I, the last point I would like to highlight on that is it's not all about technology. In fact, the plan focuses on much more than technology. It's all those other areas, the other uh, five goals that we must focus on. It's the people part of emergency communications and how to govern and how to make these systems interoperable uh, through planning and training and the other areas that I had mentioned. Right, the people, the processes, uh, the, just to be able to uh, communicate how we're going to communicate in the event of an emergency really uh, uh, makes a lot of sense. Jody, um, tell us about IPAWS. What is IPAWS? I don't know if people understand what, what, what that is in regards to uh, the, the emergency communications capability uh, that we all rely on, uh, particularly when there's a bad day. Sure. Thanks, Luke. Um, IPAWS is the Integrated Public Alert and Warning System. It's the system that FEMA provides to our federal, state, territorial, local, and tribal um, alerting authorities throughout the country. It provides them the capability to alert and warn their public, with not only emergency alerts, but also public safety info through the um, uh, wireless emergency alerts, which are the cell phones, the alerts that you receive on your cell phone, and also the emergency alert system. Um, our progression over the past year has been that we've been working hard to close the gap, that's one of our initiatives. Closing the gap means we're looking to get more people on board with using iPods. You know, it is voluntary. Last year at this time, we were at about 1,200 users. This year at this time, we're a little bit over 1,500. So we are gaining momentum in that area. Um, over the past year, we've implemented some updates to the wireless emergency alert system. It used to be that they were restricted to a 90 character message that you would receive on your cell phone we've increased that up to 360 characters that has taken off that has been a great advance in in our area we've also improved the system with um, allowing and accommodating spanish and english and also including um, a geofencing technology that allows 100 percent of cell phones within a designated area identified by the alerting authority to activate 100% of the phones with no more than a tenth of a mile overshoot. You know, that is, we are in a transition period that will get better as new technologies come on board, folks buy new cell phones. So, you know, we'll see better progress with that in the future, but it is available. We also provide now the capability for folks to test using the wireless emergency alert without um, invading the public. Um, we've also established a monthly testing requirement which requires that each approved alerting authority perform a test within our IPAWS lab environment. We established this to improve proficiency, to help people gain more confidence using the system, and to lessen the risk of errant alerts. Um, our progression goal as a program is to catch up where the public expectations are. They want to restrict alerting within a polygon, we're trying to accommodate that. And that's where we are right now as a program. That's fantastic, and I just want to make sure every uh, listener out there knows when you say over a thousand users, a user can be an entire municipality, 
right? It's not just a single user. So the, the, this is a widely uh, implemented uh, system across the entire country. Correct. It um, is from federal partners, which we have a few of those, and I can go into that if you'd like me to. Um, our state users, which every state is mm -hmm. on, and then down to the local or city um, locality. Sure. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Lori, how about the 911 program? I know that's been around, what, I think I've read over 50 years now at this point. Super important. It's sort of, you know, weaved into the fabric of, of any type of uh, sort of emergency response, you think, of 911. Tell us what's happening with the 911 program these days. Well, first of all, Luke, thank you for inviting me to participate. We've really appreciated being a part of this through all these years. The program exists to do three things. Uh, we act as a point of coordination for all of the 911 stakeholders, whether they're public or private, at all levels of government. We also collect and create resources for the folks at the state and uh, local level that actually operate the nation's 911 system. And we administer a grant program specifically for 911. So through all those efforts, we're helping the 6,000 911 centers across the country do a basic upgrade of their infrastructure so that it matches the infrastructure that has been put in place by companies like Verizon and AT&T. So progress is not is certainly not as fast as anyone would like it to be, but there are roughly 2,000 911 centers in about 30 states that are actually using that infrastructure to process voice calls. Uh, also, the location information that they're receiving has really improved through some work that we've done with, uh, with Android and iPhone uh, to improve the location information. And about a third of the 911 call centers are now able to do text to 911. So uh, there are some measurable uh, points of progress that are being made. That's fantastic. I had just read an article about uh, the, the text capability. It makes a lot of sense, all right? That, that's how a lot of people communicate now. And it's in some cases, the only way some people communicate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly in cases of, uh, you know, home invasion, domestic vi violence. And what we're finding out also is in cases of, you know, suicide, uh, folks seem to be more apt to text than to talk to people if they're seeking help. So it's wow. been really helpful in a lot of different ways. That's fantastic. Uh, Jeff, when I think of Panasonic, I think of ruggedized, notebooks, industrial strength, you know, uh, drop it out of an airplane and it's not gonna, not gonna break. Uh, tell us about uh, Panasonic in the world of emergency communications. Sure, well, definitely thanks for having us, Luke. Um, I was actually gonna kind of start there. So we work in the division of Panasonic that does all the, um, what most people are familiar with, like you were talking about, rugged laptops. We actually have real stories of laptops dropping out of airplanes, so <laughs> that, that's actually happened. Um, over the years, we've actually, so we still do those products that, you know, more traditional tough folks. Uh, over the years, we've started to make rugged tablets. Uh, we're actually more focused on Android today than we have been in the past, and even down to uh, fully rugged handhelds. So I was actually going to cover how we're implementing that technology with emergency communications, disaster response, um, so all those sorts of things, so sure. Absolutely, um, I, I'm sure as, uh, as the technology evolves and the different devices evolve, uh, you continue to take those, uh, that, that superior engineering you have and incorporate it into all those other types of capabilities. 
Yes, uh, Nick. Um, Nick, uh, Verizon, uh, you guys have to be there. This communication has to be reliable. As I said earlier, it has to be secure, has to be dependable, has to be easy to use. Uh, you are right smack in the middle of the ecosystem here. Tell us what Verizon is up to in regards to emergency communications. Yeah, I appreciate that, Luke. Uh, if you don't know, Verizon's actually celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. We've been around since 2000. We're very excited about that. And it's really been a 20-year history of supporting the public safety community. For our entire 20 years, more first responders have chosen Verizon for their wireless service than any other carrier. That was true in 2000, it's true in 2020, and we're incredibly proud of that. And it's because of the word you just mentioned, reliability. And what we've seen during this pandemic especially is the investments we've made in a next generation network our 4G LTE network nationwide has the coverage that first responders expect and need, but it also has the backend capabilities that really go unnoticed. Uh, and that includes our movement to software-defined networking almost five years ago. Uh, it also includes our investment in redundant and resilient capabilities so that the network stays up and running so that we could send everybody home and everybody, including our network engineers, working from home during this pandemic, but yet the network stays just as reliable as public safety needs. And during the, the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic that we've been in for the last few months, our focus has been how do we make sure that we continue to show up for public safety? And whether that's uh, supporting the USNS Comfort and the fiber connectivity that they had, that they needed when they moved into New York City, uh, or whether it's augmenting our coverage at Fort Jackson for their graduation ceremonies, uh, or the other hundreds of examples that I could give on augmenting or adding coverage capacity when public safety or the military has asked us. Uh, normally within 24 hours or, or less. And, and that's really just a testimony to the planning and capacity capabilities that we've put into the network for years. Uh, and today, many of our first responders are actually getting emails from me uh, saying that they're gonna get a free upgrade as to higher priority on the network, faster, better quality of service on the network that we're incredibly proud to continue to invest in and continue to, to deliver better. As you know, uh, three years ago, two years ago, uh, we started offering preemption on our network and three plus years ago we started offering priority on our network and now we continue to make that better and better for public safety without them having to do anything so that's uh that's a little bit about what's going on here at verizon and again thank you for having us Luke. and thank you for everything that you're doing and i'll tell you it is definitely super impressive that we completely flipped the model about where people were working how they were working etc and the sort of the ecosystem uh, in general, just really kept up with that and uh, and has done a stellar job, so we really appreciate that. Chris, um, tell us, first of all, about Comscope. Where does Comscope fit into this picture? And then tell us what you guys are up to. Uh, thanks, Luke, and, and thanks for having us on. Uh, you know, Comscope is, um, has a broad uh, variety of products um, uh, from cabling infrastructure, copper fiber, all the way through pretty much all of the major um, wireless communications capabilities. So when you look at things like um, public safety, there's the, the basic standard public safety broadcast system. There's uh, you know, uh, digital mobile technologies like 4G, 5G that need to come into the building. So the antenna array systems um, that need to be deployed for those signals to come in 
um, for the current systems are important, but it even goes beyond that with some of the newer technologies. Um, as we go to 5G, the, those in-building wireless systems are even gonna be more important um, because those macro cells that we provide on the outside aren't gonna come into the buildings. And, and you have new technologies too that we're starting to deploy now that offer new public spectrum um, in CBRS. So really a wide range of technology, well beyond just the standard Wi-Fi that people used to think about for wireless connectivity. But being able to provide all those technologies is pretty much unique to Comscope. Sure, and uh, uh, certainly a, a plethora of very important technologies. Uh, Jody, let's roll over to, uh, to specific programs. We always like to highlight one program and uh, tell us how this program has really uh, had a big impact in improving the, the emergency communications. So as far as IPOS goes, Luke, I would have to say um, the wireless emergency alert system um, and also our enhancements to that. With those enhancements, uh, the, advanced, the enhanced geotargeting is very important to folks so that they can restrict the alert dissemination and avoid that, oh, that overflow or that overbleed into other areas where maybe that um, alert or information is not applicable. I can say during this pandemic, we saw a big uptick in wireless um, alerting, specifically for the stay at home orders and for also just public safety information about where folks could go get tested or where they could get more information. There were more than 300 wireless alerts sent by 94 different agencies and it continues to grow. That also, um, also I'd like to add that we are seeing an uptick with working with the other divisions within FEMA, like the National Exercise Division, to exercise wireless alerts during exercises, during um, training initiatives, which we support and encourage. That's fantastic and super important. I'm glad to hear about that. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. From a simple switch to 5G connectivity, solving federal networking challenges has never been easier with Comscope. We understand federal networks demand agility, reliability, and security to protect and serve our citizens. Whether the connection is wired, Wi-Fi, cellular, or all three at once, Comscope pushes what's possible, delivering superior network performance in any environment. Go to comscope.com federal to learn how our innovations help you achieve your mission. Mobile workers in government face tough challenges that require tough tools. Panasonic combines software and services with rugged Toughbook laptops, two-in-ones, handhelds, and tablets that are purpose-built to stand up to anything they may encounter. Out in the field and back in the office, your workers can rely on Toughbook for maximum uptime, connectivity, and efficiency so they can get the job done. For Toughbook, it's all in a day's work. Discover tough mobile devices at toughbook.com. When disasters strike, first responders and government agencies rely on Verizon, the nation's largest and most reliable 4G LTE network. With 20 years of public safety experience, Verizon prepares for national and local crises, fortifying our network, staging equipment, and training right alongside agencies. We serve those who protect our nation with secure, reliable, and priority communications. Experience, reliability, and commitment matter. Verizonenterprise.com slash public safety. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about emergency communications, and we were talking about specific programs. Uh, Nick, I want to throw it over to you. 
and ask you to give us a, uh, an example of a specific program that Verizon is working on to really further this emergency communications uh, community. Yeah, absolutely, Luke. Um, so I I'm going to be deferential to one of my uh, fellow panelists here and say that uh, I, I think one of the most important programs that we participate in as Verizon is the Wireless Priority Service Program uh, with uh, with DHS CISA as lead. We've been a we've been a participation a participatory party in that uh, for over ten years now, and uh, we were the first to offer four G LTE Volte. Uh, so voice over LTE services with, uh, with WPS, with wireless priority service. And this service is incredibly important for public safety. Uh, and we encourage the adoption of WPS services for, for everybody that has access to it and eligibility for it. It uh, gives you priority access to the network for your voice calls and you get moved up to the front of the line. Uh, and we continue to invest in supporting that program. We're very excited to be continue to be partners for DHS CISA to continue to deliver priority service across the network, uh, any spectrum band across uh, the entire Verizon network uh, for all public safety. And last year we enabled interoperability with our, our partners over at AT&T so that those calls could go through end to end. So we're incredibly proud of WPS. But uh, what we did recently over the last couple of years is add that into data priority as well. And so how do I take the good work that DHS CISA has done to enable WPS voice priority and allow that, enable that for data as well, because we know that data is becoming even uh, almost as important, sometimes more important uh, than voice in certain situations. And so enabling that with our mobile broadband priority and our private network traffic management tools uh, to give first responders, to give public safety, uh, both voice uh, with WPS and data access priority to the network, wherever they are, whenever they need it, they never need to ask, uh, it's always on, always available. That paired with preemption so that we actually remove consumers from the network when first responders need to get access on both of those systems. And I think those two really lead the way in terms of importance uh, as, as per to a program for, for public safety. Right, and it's really important. And uh, you know, uh, you know, any first responder needs to be assured that when they need that communications, even if the lines are or, 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 you know, over capacity, uh, you know, a lot of over capacity that they're going to be able to get through that call is going to be able to get through. I'm glad to hear that you're doing it with data too. It's almost like the lights and sirens, you know, notion of, of being able to, to get through the traffic when you need to do that. So I'm happy to hear that. Uh, Lori, how about at the national 911 uh, uh, program? Uh, I'm sure there's a specific program that you'd love to highlight in regards to, um, you know, furthering the mission of, the entire emergency communications ecosystem? Well, I think one of the focuses in the recent past is a renewed effort in terms of federal coordination. And that's important because when 911 was first established, there was no way for any of the 911 centers to connect to each other. The technology simply didn't enable that, but now it does. Um, and so it becomes really important for us to be able to interconnect. So we're doing a lot of work, particularly with the federally operated 911 centers, and there are hundreds of them who have sort of been left out of the discussion to make sure that, particularly uh, in the Department of Defense and the National Park Service, they're probably the two biggest players, uh, to make sure that we are providing them with the tools that they need and making sure that they have the relationships with the civilian 911 centers. We've also been tapped uh, by, the, by FEMA's uh, COVID task force uh, to be a point of coordination 
among all the 911 stakeholders for that response. And it has, I think, been invaluable not only to the federal government in terms of situational awareness, but sharing information and meeting the unmet needs that have been identified by the 911 community. That's awesome to see that the uh, 911 centers are now getting connected together. And for the listening audience, you're starting to see how all these major programs, you know, it's an ecosystem where these things, can, you know, get stitched together to make sure that these capabilities are available uh, when and if we need it. Um, <clears throat> Chris, how about a CompSec? Can you give us a, a CompScope? Can you give us a, uh, an example of a specific program that you all have been working on or, or have been working on, are working on uh, to further this, uh, this community? Uh, sure, I, I think uh, one that we've all heard of, we've been working with um, the FirstNet program um, with our um, DAS systems to ensure that communications inside buildings um, reaches those responders. So uh, the, the ability of our systems to combine um, both you know, public safety, land mobile radio, and LTE services into a single system that's configurable um, by frequency range makes it easy to deploy, and then the scale of those systems. So a lot of, um, of, uh, of companies provide um, single building um, systems, but we can spread across a campus and what I like to say reach, you know, agency campus scale under a single managed solution. So that ease of configuration um, and the, the scale of it makes it, you know, um, something that I, I always like to address with um, government agencies because, you know, enterprise scale is not government scale, right? It, systems need to have more reach and, and, and meet um, the government deployment needs for that, for their, for their campuses. And, Sure, and, and as we said, it needs to be reliable, it needs to be secure, it needs to be easy to use, it needs to be easy to configure, right? So you can implement something like that. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Vince, I know there's a lot of things going on at CISA. Uh, you got the WPS, you got GETS, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, give us an example of one program that you'd like to highlight. So uh, thank you again. And um, with regards to programs to highlight, uh, um, Public safety communications has made considerable progress over the years in advancing interoperable communications. As you heard other panel members mention those advancing technologies, those capabilities are obviously uh, beneficial, but it's also introduced complexity on how you manage all those systems. So the uh, program that we, uh, we highlight over the years and that is gonna be very important to us in the future is our technical assistance programs and how we help our public safety communicators uh, make sense of all the technologies, putting governance around it, putting uh, planning around it. Uh, and with regards to this technical assistance program, it's not just delivery of, assist, of, of assistance. It's about understanding uh, the complexities of the ecosystem. It's about looking at where those capability gaps are and developing curriculum to address those areas, uh, such as, you know, how do our communications units, uh, you know, uh, manage information flow during a during an incident. Um, 
but it takes all the programs that we have within tech, uh, within the emergency communications uh, of the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. It takes them all together and looks at things such as priority telecommunication services, which has already been mentioned. It it takes into consideration our grants programs uh, that that we uh, help our public safety communicators, you know, get technology, get governance, get planning. It takes all those different uh, um, uh, programs that we offer and it and it develops it and it puts it into a curriculum and then we deliver it to our our stakeholders um, we do these programs in conjunction with our uh, safecom uh, partners our uh, statewide interoperability coordinator partners in each of the states and territories and also with our uh, federal partners uh, as well um, we've delivered over uh, 10,000 10,000 of these uh, uh, technical assistance engagements uh, over the past five years. And again, I think it, you know, the fruits of those labor were, were shown during the pandemic uh, as we looked at uh, basically uh, mitigating uh, comms uh, communications impacts uh, during that time frame. We had uninterrupted strategic, operational, and on-scene communications uh, uh, during, this, during this extended in, uh, period. Right. Is it going to be there when we need it? The answer was a resounding yes. And I'm glad to see we've got essentially a program that's, that's uh, making sure that all, all the programs run efficiently. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Jeff, how about over at uh, Panasonic? Uh, can you give us an example? By the way, that wasn't me that dropped the, uh, the device out of the aircraft. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to know that it survived. Uh, yeah, give us an example of a specific program that you'd like to highlight. Sure. So one thing we're spending a lot of time on recently is an application called ATAC. So it's an Android tactical assault kit. Uh, that is a, it's been around for a while, started out as a fairly straightforward situational awareness tool or SA tool. So allow me to track teammates, send messages around among a team, those sorts of things. Um, it's really uh, been adopted widely over the last few years. It's expanded its capabilities to do things like if I'm a deployed team, I can call in resupply over ATAC. I can call in fire support. Um, so it's, but not just in DOD. I was actually watching a video the other day of Colorado Search and Rescue using ATAC to uh, locate an injured hiker and then locate teammates. Where is everyone in relation to the hiker? Um, so it's, it's used in Search and Rescue. I've seen it used in uh, containing wildfires. So very effective tool. And uh, traditionally, it's been deployed to consumer grade Android devices. Uh, but I mentioned, you know, we have a fully rugged Android handheld now. So we're doing a lot of work with the program office to deploy ATAC to those devices. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're a little bit more functional. You, know, you can see it in direct sunlight. If you drop it, it'll be fine. It works in the rain. So that's one thing we're uh, doing a lot of work on. And, see a lot of benefit from recently. Fantastic, must be reliable, any one of these devices. But we always like to talk about priorities. And I'm gonna ask the, uh, the panel members to think about and, uh, and uh, communicate uh, the priorities over the next uh, one to two years. Lori, let's start with you. I know you have a lot of priorities at uh, the 911 program, but uh, to tell us what it looks like over the next year, maybe two years. I think a couple of things that we're really trying to focus on are, are, and I think it's already been alluded to by a couple of different panel members, the importance of data. 
uh, not only the ability of first responders to access data, but also uh, the ability of the 911 system to make decisions based on evidence. Um, and there, frankly, has been a dearth of, of data available about the 911 system. Uh, so we are, we're working with a variety of, of stakeholders to try and figure out what that system should look like so the, that they have the evidence that they need to make the important decisions that they make. Super interesting. You're right. With all this data now, you know, you almost have this uh, chain of evidence, as they like mm -hmm. to call it, right? Uh, that's going to be super important in those types of situations. Chris, how about a ComScope? Uh, what, what are the priorities at ComScope that you guys see over the course of the next year or two? Um, you know, 5G comes to play. Um, I, you know, although our current um, systems um, for inbuilding wireless communications do support 5G, we see the proliferation of small cells as the spectrum moves up. Um, uh, you know, the, the cells size is going to get smaller. The interoperability between those cells is going to range, you know, into the millions um, of cell sites, right? Very, very different scenario right now than macro cells. So with that communication, you know, we're, we're focused on, on, on 5G, small cell, and, and really looking at open RAN, open radial access networks, which is, you know, standardizing the communications in those networks. So I look at it as, you know, um, some of us were back around in the 80s, you know, where the IP networks were a lot more proprietary and now to where they're open interoperable. So you're going to see that same transition with the open RAN um, of interoperability on that front, which is going to be necessary because the, the, you know, the number of carriers and private LTE networks that are going to take place um, as you move into that 5G area is, is going to be necessary. So you're focusing on that area. And then CBRS also. So that offers a whole new spectrum in the public area that um, allows private networks um, with LTE quality to exist. So that, that, that's an area where we've kind of been first to market with some products there. And we're seeing now, um, in particular, like on the Air Force side, um, had a dominant section on um, requesting information on deployment with CBRS and that uh, public uh, band spectrum. You know, it's free, it's free bandwidth, it's free spectrum, free bandwidth. So I expect uh, a lot of the agencies are going to take it, take advantage of that. Absolutely, absolutely. As that becomes more prevalent uh, across the community, uh, Vince, how about at uh, at uh, CISA, I'm sure there's a lot of priorities over there. Uh, can you lay out sort of what the top line looks like for the next one or two years? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of priorities. Uh, um, the ecosystem's only getting more complex, uh, and uh, we want to make sure we have that seamless flow of uh, information across the federal, state, local, territorial, and tribal uh, partners and stakeholders. Uh, probably the priorities that we're looking at really goes into alignment with what Laurie was talking about, you know, that uh, that integration of voice data and video uh, now that we're uh, where we are with communications uh, and what we've seen over the pandemic of, of how how useful uh, all those uh, all those mediums are. Uh, so as far as priorities, We'll look at the implementation of our National Emergency Communications Plan. That's that five-year strategic roadmap 
uh, to advance interoperability across uh, the federal, state, local, and territorial and tribal partners in public safety. Um, with that, uh, when you have a, a good plan, uh, another, another area that we're looking at um, is measuring that plan. How do you uh, put in performance, uh, you know, adapting performance measures to make sure that we are moving the needle as it comes to emergency communications, uh, looking at uh, those measurements through a performance management system. Um, I think uh, another priority, not I think, I know another priority is what have we learned from the pandemic response, uh, especially the impacts the the uh, emergency communications ecosystem? We got telehealth now, telemedicine, alternate care facilities, you know, incident response, and overcoming those you know congested areas with our public telecommunications services. Uh, probably the other one that I want to highlight uh, is working with our our FEMA partners. Uh, and with, uh, again, all these are work with our, our public safety partners, but looking at the national incident uh, management system and specifically the incident command system. And how do we operationalize uh, communications within that system? You know, no longer is it, uh, you know, back when I was uh, growing up in, uh, in public safety, it's no longer just handing out a radio and making sure uh, everybody is on the right channels. Uh, it has become this uh, broadband, uh, uh, again, continued land mobile radio, IP, uh, the, whole, the whole ecosystem. Uh, so it's about operational communications now, using it at the strategic, at the command and control, and also at the on-scene. How do we integrate all those? How do we make, it, make them interoperable? Uh, so our first responders and public safety will be there with the right information at the right time uh, to, save, to save lives and, uh, and, and property. Sure, super important, glad to hear. Uh, it sounds like you've got a real specific set of priorities. Jeff, how about a Panasonic? Can you give us your uh, top two priorities there? Yes, sir. So one thing I was gonna mention, we, we actually helped the Army stand up a contract uh, out of uh, MCOM, so Installation Management Command, uh, last year. Um, after the unfortunate incident on Fort Hood a few years ago, the Army basically determined that they needed to uh, increase their posture, improve their posture. A component of that was to have more consistency across the uh, security forces. So we actually helped the Army uh, develop a standardized security vehicle that includes Panasonic in-car video, a uh, Toughbook laptop to do computer-aided dispatch or CAD. Um, we got that stood up late last year. We've already started deploying that throughout the Army. Um, that said, one of our top priorities or goals is to mod that contract into an IDIQ where we can actually leverage that, not just across DOD, but also across federal civilian agencies. So we've had CBP approach us about deploying um, in-fleets vehicles, uh, the Air Force. So that's one thing we're trying to help DOD and civilian just try to have a very consistent uh, response posture for you know incidents or anything else going on so we're fantastic and I love the idea of, of taking what uh, has been developed in one part of the government and porting it over to the other I think that's fantastic all right we're going to take another short break you're listening to the federal executive forum on the federal news network
When disasters strike, first responders and government agencies rely on Verizon, the nation's largest and most reliable 4G LTE network. With 20 years of public safety experience, Verizon prepares for national and local crises, fortifying our network, staging equipment, and training right alongside agencies. We serve those who protect our nation with secure, reliable, and priority communications. Experience, reliability, and commitment matter. Verizonenterprise.com slash public safety. Mobile workers in government face tough challenges that require tough tools. Panasonic combines software and services with rugged toughbook laptops, two-in-ones, handhelds, and tablets that are purpose-built to stand up to anything they may encounter. Out in the field and back in the office, your workers can rely on toughbook for maximum uptime, connectivity, and efficiency so they can get the job done. For Toughbook, it's all in a day's work. Discover tough mobile devices at toughbook.com. From a simple switch to 5G connectivity, solving federal networking challenges has never been easier with ComScope. We understand federal networks demand agility, reliability, and security to protect and serve our citizens. Whether the connection is wired, Wi-Fi, cellular, or all three at once, ComScope pushes what's possible, delivering superior network performance in any environment. Go to comscope.com slash federal to learn how our innovations help you achieve your mission. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about emergency communications, and we were just getting into priorities. And I'm going to throw it over to you, Jody, and uh, tell us what your priorities are for the IPAWS program over the next couple of years. Sure. Um, our Priorities, number one, is we are looking to improve the IPAWS reliability, make the system more robust by moving and migrating to a secure cloud environment. Our next priority is looking to employ methods to support the requirements laid out in the National Defense Authorization Act. So we are required to develop plans to develop new IPAWS compatible software certification program, also to provide annual user training and certification, and also to employ some type of system or method to improve crafting of messages to help our locals design better, more effective messaging to the public. Fantastic. And that's uh, super important to be able to have that type of capability. I'm glad to see that the IPAWS program is looking at this. Uh, Nick, how about at Verizon? I know you guys are in a, into a lot of different things there. I'm sure you've got just a ton of priorities. Give us the top line as to what the priority is for Verizon over the next couple of years. Yeah, it really breaks down into two very simple priorities. One is delivering on the trust that public safety has given us, and that's continuing to maintain a, an incredibly reliable network. Uh, that's continuing to uh, make sure that we have battery backup at all of our cell sites, generator backup at almost all of our cell sites, and deploying our Verizon response team uh, out as we have in over 1,400 different engagements since the beginning of the year, leaving equipment, delivering equipment for public safety first responders to use. So it's continuing to deliver on the reliability on the network that first responders trust. But where we're going in the next one to two years really is the investments in 5G. And certainly there's the investment in actually building the network, right? So putting fiber in the ground to be able to backhaul all the traffic coming from 5G small cells, but then also investing in new technologies like dynamic spectrum sharing so that we can leverage both the 4G and the 5G spectrum to deliver 5G in more places. But what I'm really excited about, what my focus is for the next couple of years, is going to be delivering solutions for first responders. So the 5G network is great, but it's not just a faster network. It's not just a lower latency network. 
it's actually a network that's going to deliver real solutions, meaningful uh, improvements to the way first responders and public safety work uh, and, uh, and execute their mission. So what I'm really excited about is bringing those solutions to market that are going to really be game changers for first responders. Fantastic. And delivering the goods to those responders uh, when they need it, where they need it. I think that's awesome. Uh, we're going to talk about lessons learned. And what I'd like to say here is on these lessons learned, it can be, you know, sort of, uh, uh, obviously, I, I, I wish we had done it this way, but it can also be, hey, you know, we didn't even think of this and, and here's a real positive. Uh, <clears throat> so, Lori, I'm going to start with you. I'm sure there's got to be lessons learned uh, from the National 911 program. It's been around 50 years. Give us some lessons learned, top two. Well, I think, well, Frank, I think the, the top lesson that we have learned over the years is that it, it, it is, I think there's a temptation to focus on the technology, you know, the shiny object that's coming down the pike. But really, what we've learned is so important is not so much the, the what, uh, but the who. Uh, one of the things that uh, has become really important to us over the years is going to our stakeholders to help us identify the projects that need our attention and our focus and our resources. And we also include them in the development of those projects because at the end of the day, we hand everything back to them to use. So if it doesn't pass the laugh test, if they're never gonna use it, it's worthless. Um, and that, that includes the private sector as well. I think that's another lesson that we've learned. Um, at the end of the day, it's gotta work for everybody. And, and while you know, the, the viewpoints of local and state government uh, are very important, uh, very often private sector companies have a, have a national perspective. They have a lot of experience and that has been invaluable to include in the projects that we have deployed over the last few years. Well, we really have learned that, right? It's gotta be reliable, it has to be secure, but boy, it has to be easy to use uh, and, and, and when you're in an emergency, right? It just has to be easy to use. Okay, uh, Jody, how about lessons learned at IPAWS? Um, I would say that we've learned um, over the, I've learned over the years working with our local users is the constant and consistent need of engaging with your users and your community, knowing their needs and um, applying your methods to meet those needs of your users. And this needs to be built, um, they need to build and sustain collaborative relationships with all of their stakeholders. And this can be gained through performing um, training exercises and involving everybody around the table when you're trying to design your best plans and your response methods. That's really what we find, I find that challenging, but we promote that and we find that that has been a really strong lesson learned. Fantastic, and uh, you know, you gotta keep the entire community and uh, involved and you have to be uh, uh, make sure you've been inclusive to the entire community to make sure the program's successful right um, okay well we're gonna start to uh, to uh, wrap it up here and we always like to close out with uh, uh, a question regarding uh, what does the future look like right what does it look like uh, around the corner over the bend over the horizon a little bit uh, we're gonna start with you Chris at Comscope um, you know, if you could paint a picture out there and tell us what it looks like in three years, uh, what are we going to be seeing? What kind of capabilities is Comscope going to be delivering at that point? Well, if, if, I, if I look at that, uh, you know, I, I would say a more ubiquitous experience, um, um, 
easier managed transition between all these communication methods. So, you know, one of the advantages of having all these different technologies is making it simpler for the government to use, right? So bringing, you know, the Wi-Fi, um, LTE, CBRS, communications all under one umbrella, um, you know, 5G with the small cell and the bandwidth, that, that that's going to bring, they said it's going to bring a lot of, of new solutions on, but, you know, um, it's not about any one communication method, I think, um, at, at that point, it's about how I get redundancies in the system and, and can use all of them. If you look at the, the devices coming out, they, they don't support one of these technologies, they support all of them in a single handset. So having a, um, a management system, you know, overall that combines all those technologies, we feel Comscope's in a unique position to do that going forward. Fantastic. Some capability to tie it all together with uh, this sort of complex ecosystem, again, to make it easy when you need to use it. Nicholas, how about at Verizon? What does it look like in three years uh, when, uh, you know, we have another uh, an event, another occurrence, another emergency, another hurricane, you know, uh, what does it look like in regards to uh, Verizon's part of that? Yeah, we're building that future now. I lead our 5G first responder lab program here at Verizon, where we're looking at new technologies that are going to be able to leverage 5G uh, and really take advantage of the capabilities that are coming that, that can fall back on 4G, certainly, because that network's not going anywhere for a long time. But the advantages of 5G are going to be able, be able to enable new solutions uh, like fiber-like connectivity to mobile command centers and having essentially what looks and feels like a fiber circuit uh, out to a mobile command center could be really game-changing, as well as backhaul for video surveillance cameras that don't need, uh, don't need to bring a fiber line or connectivity to it, but uh, actually backhauling on 5G. And then it enables new solutions that we're testing in our lab with uh, drones and augmented reality for heads-up displays during uh, during the mission, uh, or virtual reality for for new training methods out in the field. So there's a lot of new things that are going to be enabled over 5G that we're really excited to be able to bring to market in the next few years, and working hand in hand with first responders to develop these technologies. And just for kicks and the awareness of our audience, difference between 4G and 5G. Yeah, the biggest thing that most people think about is speed. What we really think about and we're really excited about is latency. So the ability to ping the network, but also to put storage analytics and uh, in the network at the edge. So being able to leverage a quicker connection actually means better processing in the network of the data that you're that you're pulling in and, and, uh, and ingesting at the edge. How much faster is 5G than 4G, roughly? It depends on who, who you're asking and what 5G network. And not all 5G networks built the same, but our 5G ultra-wideband network is, uh, is over a gig per second, what we're seeing in, in live field tests. Uh, and our LTE network is uh, generally in the 100 megabits per second, so at least 10 times faster, sometimes up to 1,000 times faster. Wow, thank you very much. Jeff, how about a Panasonic? You talked about a lot of things that you all are doing over there. What are we going to see uh, Panasonic delivering in three years? Three years, well, you know, here we uh, take pride in the fact that we design products for customer needs. So uh, right now we have two fully rugged two-in-one tablet laptops that were developed uh, specifically for the public safety market where they came to us three, four years ago and asked us to make that and we did. Uh, so those are heavily deployed today. Um, you know, what is, 
what does it look like three years from now? You know, hard to say, uh, but you know, we stand ready to design those products for the future as customer needs change. Uh, I mentioned that rugged Android handheld that was actually developed specifically for uh, tactical environments. So we made a variant of the product for that market. Um, and you know, real quick with 5G, kind of follow on the Nick saying, you know, we do on the DoD side a lot of comms over radios, so tactical radios. But we're starting to see more people adopt LTE for those communications. So as that gets more and more secure, and certainly as we go to 5G, um, I think we'll see more of that communication going over LTE. And incidentally, I'm working with someone on Nick's team on a project in that arena today. So. Fantastic. So Panasonic is going to deliver in three years what the user needs and when they need it. And that's fantastic using the latest technology. Lori, how about at 911? You talked about a lot of things that are going on over there. A third of the uh, centers are connected. Perhaps we'll see more. What are we going to see in, in a couple of years? What does the 911 program look like at that point? Well, I think we're trying to put a framework together to enable the system to move forward to, to achieve its ultimate vision which is a nationwide interconnected system of systems. A system where you know, a photograph can be sent by a member of the public to 911 and sent onto the patrol car. A system where a 911 call can be transferred from here in DC to Chicago to Los Angeles and back again, because none of those things are possible now. Uh, we're working with the states to develop resources to interconnect the states. We're working uh, with our stakeholders uh, and we're about to release a, a framework that will help us knit this system together at the national level because there's a lot of things that need to happen, both technical and non-technical, to pull that off. Um, so I think the framework will be in place. Uh, whether or not it actually is possible to pull that off in three years, I think it depends on our will to, to do that. Right. And I think a lot of this, I, you talked about the grants program, right? I mean, some of this is funding, right? That you can have a great framework, but if these local municipalities don't have the funding in order to implement that framework, then there's a sort of a barrier there. Right. And I'm glad to see that you're, you're implementing, uh, you know, an aggressive grants program to allow these capabilities to exist. I love the idea of being able to transmit a photo. It's the first time I've heard of that. I think that's awesome. All right, Jody, uh, how about at iPause? What's that going to look like in a couple of years? You've got a lot of stuff going on there. You know, that's, uh, I saw the open iPause uh, uh, announcement that came out. What, what it's going to look like in a couple of years? And what can the, uh, the emergency responder community look forward to? Um, I believe we will definitely see um, more closing of our gap. We'll have more users on board. And that will bring with it improved consistency with sending emergency alerts that will be comprised of more relevant and actionable information in a timely manner to the public. Um, I think as we employ a lot of the requirements outlined in the NDAA, that will help us advance this initiative and get to that point of more assistance, more help to the public, which you know, we're always looking to do but basically to help them craft better messaging for the public. Glad to hear that. That sounds very encouraging. And um, um, uh, glad that you're getting the support that you need over there to make sure that the entire community gets the support that it needs. All right, Vince, uh, how about at CISA? You've got a lot of activity going on over there in the Emergency Communications Organization. A lot of priorities that you outlined. Uh, you know, what does that look like? 
in two to three years? And you know, if you could just sort of, you know, look out over the horizon, what can we expect at this point? So uh, with regards to emergency communications, as we know, there's a, there's a, a plethora of communications capabilities that are available out there to our first responders. And as Laurie mentioned, uh, and everybody's mentioned here, it's that interoperability between video, data, and voice, uh, and making sure there's that seamless flow of communication to our first responders. So that vision in you know, two to three years uh, is, you know, as there is a, an incident occurring, whether it's a, you know, a missing child or something to that effect, as, as that photo is able to be sent from the public to the public safety access point, and then transitioning that all the way through the ecosystem, the report, the response, the dispatch, uh, making sure that, that that picture can make it all the way through to a successful you know, conclusion uh, in a timely, in a timely uh, response to that, uh, to that uh, case uh, and recovery of the child. Um, that's what we're shooting for and striving for. And our big movement uh, with regards to that uh, was just released uh, our National Emergency Communications Plan, uh, which is that, that five-year strategic roadmap uh, for advancing and achieving interoperable communications. That, again, that interoperable, secure, and resilient emergency communications ecosystem. That's what we're driving for. Which is fantastic. Now, how often do you guys update that plan? We update that plan uh, on a on a five year basis. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So it's uh, uh, very timely. Um, well, uh, let me throw another one at you. A little bit of a curveball here. Top challenge. What's the major challenge? I know funding's always an issue. Hiring people, et cetera, et cetera. If you could just sort of put your finger on, you know, so what's a, the the top challenge that you're facing right now as you try to move this agenda forward? Top challenge, I think we're seeing it uh, see it now is is the frequency and complexity of emergencies moving forward. So how do you respond to a hurricane uh, in in the pandemic environment? It's that technology is advancing much faster uh, in pace than any other time in our history. And it's what Laurie mentioned with regards to that. It's about the who, not necessarily about the the technology. Although the technology is very important, it's about how do you put governance behind that, planning behind that, uh, and and assist in training. So it is about the who, not necessarily about the technology, although obviously the technology is extremely important. Our first responders are there to save lives and interoperable communications uh, does that. Great way to close this out. And I really do appreciate that. All right, well, that's gonna make it for this uh, show. And uh, we really do appreciate you all taking the time out of your busy schedules. And again, thank all of you for everything that you do. I'd like to also thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make the program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're, you've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.